Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anthro to UX podcast. I'm Matt Arts. I'm here today with Sarah Elizabeth Yoho, who is a senior qualitative UX researcher at Answer Lab. So, Sarah, thanks for coming on. Would you mind by telling everybody how you got started in anthropology? Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm really excited to be here. So first, I wanted to be a lawyer back in the day um, as a young Sarah Yoho, and um, I interned with a constitutional law firm. And they were like, great, you know, you're really good at the big picture thinking and you need to go get some policy strategy experience before doing law school. And I was like, okay, great. I will go do that. And then um, I did that. I worked in urban planning and medical policy, both about systems. Um, assistance for humans. And I loved it. And I was like, well, maybe I should go to medical school. Um, and in thinking about this, I uh, talked to this professor of medicine who was like, you're a big picture thinker. All I do is deal with small itty bitty problems all day. Are you sure you want to go to med school? What about medical anthropology? And I was like, what is this thing? What is medical anthropology? Um, and I found out it is all about public health and anthropology um, to investigate systems about health and wellness. And I was like, wow, this is for me. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, so I did a master's in medical anthropology at the ANU, Australia, and I specialize in relational anthropology. And um, by relational, I mean like relationships between people. Um, some would call it love anthropology. <laughs> And uh, I worked in medical anthropology um, in a med-, med school for a little while. And then I got a Marie Curie fellowship and I worked for the EU, getting my doctorate, um, again, doing policy and strategy and medical anthropology. And that's how I got my start in anthropology. So as I ask everybody, I'm very curious always to learn about kind of how you migrate. And so tell us a little bit about the journey from, you know, working in policy, studying anthropology, working in policy, and then discovering this thing that everybody now is infatuated with, UX. UX and UX research and UX design and UX strategy. So um, the pandemic happened. <laughs> that is one major thing. And I actually got stuck in the, in the U.S. during the pandemic. And um, that meant like I'd been living in Australia at the time and Australia shut its borders and I couldn't get back in, like not even citizens could get back into the country and I wasn't a citizen. And so I'm like, okay, right. I live in the US now and um, what am I going to do? And during 2020, I mean, uh, the academy started to implode even more and um, I had... A really good mentor, she's still a mentor, who recommended, um, she's like, I've heard about this thing, this this UX research thing. Um, have you thought about looking into that? And so I did snowball sampling. 
of talking to one person about UX research and then another person and then another person, you know, I was getting recommendations um, for me to talk to next and, and so on and so forth. And I found out that it, would, it was and would be a really good uh, space for me to land. And so um, I worked on translating uh, my previous experiences into a um, UX research portfolio and um, uh, interview, I guess, kit, which we can talk about um, as like, a, I guess, what I recommend to aspiring UX researchers um, and found um, a job, uh, a couple different jobs, but the job I'm currently in at Ansel Lab. Um, in the UX research space and found out that I was well suited and my uh, experience was well suited to UX research. So that's how I got there. And I actually work within uh, financial services, so not necessarily your typical UX research space, uh, but I find it really fascinating. And um, they definitely need <laughs> UX research, if I do say so myself. And yeah, so that's my trajectory. And that's what I do. So you made the comment about figuring out how to, um, you know, to translate your sort of past work. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, one thing I think anthropologists are really good at doing, right, is translation and figuring out how to embed themselves in a, a medium or a circumstance or society even. And one thing that I see after having hired several people at this point, one thing that I see um, anthropologists not do <laughs> is figure out how to translate their experience into um, not just a job description, but also into the experience of the, the job that they're trying to be hired into. And so it's, it's hard to do, right? To be like, oh, well, I did research, um, for instance, at a university for seven years. Well, how does it apply to business? I'm like, well, how doesn't it apply to business? You just have to figure out the right words. Um, and so it's all about figuring out those right words. And I mean, you typically the hint is look at the job description. <laughs> and talk to people doing the work to figure out how they talk about um, their lived experience and their and their day to day, and figure out how you can apply what you have done to what they're doing, and that, to my mind, holds the key um, to at least getting interviewed and then being able to talk fluidly about your experience, even if it doesn't match, you know, line item by line item. Like you can still say, well, hey, like I have delivered X, Y, and Z because of A, B, and C, and this is my impact. Like that holds weight, and I think that so often anthropologists and maybe other um, scholars and other disciplines don't do that adequately. And that is unfortunate. But I think we have the power to do it. Definitely. Impact is one that I find that people really stress over in terms of trying to figure out, especially from an academic perspective, like what was the impact? I often hear that, well, you know, I only published a paper or a thesis or a dissertation, whatever it may be. So how do you think about that? You know, how do you think about translating that piece? Sure. So there is a woman who works at Google, I believe, or at least did, who published this cheat sheet. And I maybe I can find it for your notes um, where it's like, I did X, Y, and Z because of ABC. And the impact was one, two, three. And that 
to my mind, is a really good um, formula for saying, hey, like I can break it down into these three things. I did this because of this, and the impact was this. But to your question, <laughs> how, like what is impact? It's what it's not just to my mind it's not just what people did with the things that you um the insights that you leveraged or revealed but it's it's future thinking it's like well okay i published a thesis right um and by publishing this thesis i have um i don't know thought about like if i think about myself for instance um, my, my thesis was about resilience. And so I could say my impact was I um, promoted policy for resilience for the European Union. Like, and that sounds just a little bit airy-fairy, <laughs> but you can work with it, right? Like I'm just workshopping. If you sit down for uh, a few hours and figure out like how to actually um, maybe put numbers to the impact, be like, okay, seven scholars, or you can call them implementers or product owners, you know, have some creative license, don't lie, but like <laughs> translate, translate. Um, you can tell a story with those words. And so, yeah, impact can be a bit challenging, but I think once you start to think about it um, and think that it doesn't have to be something big and grandiose, it can be a smaller thing and that's fine how do you see your policy work fitting into um you know how do you how do you see that that aspect of your academic background translating into what you do oh today? gosh in every single aspect um i i didn't realize um how much being able to say hey you know we have these insights and the company wants to um do these things well how do you do these things you create a policy to do them and it's basically to my mind a roadmap i was saying hey we have these insights and we're going to do x y and z in order to obtain abc um and so policy to my mind is yeah as i said just a roadmap basically and um on top of translation which is what i learned in anthropology policy um, it's kind of this double-edged sword along with translation. So you can speak to whoever the key stakeholders are or the power players and be like, hey, we have this thing, we have this roadmap. Trust us. You're in good hands. And hopefully they do trust. <laughs> and if they don't trust, you try again with a different policy. And you just it's it's um relational, right? It's it's um thinking through what the outcomes are, what people, what organizations need and want, and delivering on it. What have you learned, you know, been, having been in this role now and, you know, only relatively recently, in a sense, discovering UX? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've learned the value of operations. Um, so when I talk about research and when I talk about policy, I think quite often operations gets miss or left out of it and to my mind operations is the foundation for both um doing research but also implementing research and implementing policy that's built on research um and i've learned that operations is more than scheduling <laughs> i had this misconception that operations were just scheduling and I, and I think that's a popular misconception 
Um, but to my mind, it involves strategy and um, what else? People management, chains management, stakeholder management, vision, leadership. Um, and so without that, you're kind of, you just have these insights and maybe a roadmap, but no leader to take it forward. And, and so to my mind, operations is that leader using that roadmap with those insights. I guess if we think about it in a metaphor of like, hey, maybe the research and insights is, is the boat. I'm just coming up with this on the fly. Um, <laughs> maybe research is the boat and maybe um, the roadmap is the, is the treasure map. And then operations is the is the pirate, <laughs> definitely a pirate or the captain going forward. So yeah, that's what I've learned. The operations is the key to a successful um, team that implements good research and timely research. Now you also, <clears throat> your ops obviously is one of the kind of core functional areas of business, and and really so is strategy. And you know you mentioned that word, so. Tell us a little bit about how you, you know, you're thinking about strategy and how that relates to your role. Sure. So I think about strategy is linking a company's goals, whether that's OKRs um, or maybe a vertical KPIs or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is that an organization, a vertical or what have you is going for. Strategy is the thing that says, okay, the company wants to do these things. Um, research and other data points say these things. And then it, I'm going to use this word translates again, <laughs> but it really translates the way forward and says, okay, we can meet these company goals by implementing um, this research or these other data points and then bringing along everyone. And that's, I think, the bringing along of the stakeholders or I don't like the word stakeholders, actually. I think partners is a better word. Stakeholders has a very colonial underpinning. So <laughs> when I work with clients, I typically try to use the word partners. Anyway, um, yeah, strategy is bringing along the partners as well with your roadmap. And I think that that bringing along of people often gets missed as strategy. I think people think strategy is like sitting down and just, I don't know, creating a manifesto or something, or they think of it as sales, which I mean, there's a part of that. There can be a part of that. Um, but I think it's also about bringing relational. It's, it's bringing people along the ride with you and you're all like working towards a collective vision or what have you. You know, often in business uh, or in a UX research role, so much of the time is spent, as you're describing it, as bringing people along or sort of, you know, workshopping what you found, you know, sharing the insights, getting buy-in, right? It may be many ways to frame it and, you know, slight variations maybe what those terms mean. but um, you know, but it's it's a critical part of the job, maybe even more so than in some sense of doing the research, right? So, like, what have you learned in that particular space? You know, and particularly, you know, it's we, you know, it's the, the researchers thought of as the lone researcher often in academia, right? And so, how have you sort of learned and, and negotiated that? I pull out my anthropological training a lot, actually. Um, and what I mean by that is I think so much of anthropology, especially at like a master's or a doctoral level, um, is being kind of dropped in <laughs> and you have to figure it out. And um, the relational aspect of whether it's you know business development or strategy or what have you 
is kind of also being dropped in and having to figure it out and identifying not just people and their job titles, which there, there is that, but there's also identifying, okay, what do people need and want? What are the relationships happening um, between these people? Um, and then speaking to what their needs are, sometimes in a, I don't want to say blunt way, but I, I do find in a refreshing way, maybe. Um, I do find that candor is particularly appreciated, or at least I have found that. Um, not in a mean way, of course, but it is in a like, hey, I've observed X, Y, and Z. And um, have you thought about these things? Um, or just, just speaking in a friendly, candid way means a lot, I've found. Um, and also, I guess, being truly interested in people, because I think people can tell if you are faking it, right? It's just like interviewing as well. Like, I think people can can feel if you're being disingenuous. And um, I think the same as is for um, other kinds of relationalities. Like, people know when you're being general, genuine, rather. Um, and so, yeah, lean into the genuine. So I want to go back to an earlier comment you made. You, you just briefly kind of you know, tossed in there that you work in the finance sector and you, you made the comment about how you think you know, user experience as a whole could be improved within that sector, it sounded like. So of course, not digging into any client or anything like that, but you know, what do you see working in finance and um, you know, why do you think there's an area for improvement there? I have a political answer and I have a social answer. Um, if we're talking about the U.S. financial services space, um, did you know that 5% of the U.S. population is unbanked, um, meaning they don't have a bank um, at their disposal? And um, if you view the personal as political, then banking is also part of that life. Um, and it's part of everyday life for most people, right? And yet the banking systems that we use, the UX is quite often antiquated and so difficult to use. And um, in the US space anyway, I think a lot of that is, um, I think I know a lot of that is because uh, US, US financial services were some of the first to create you know, online systems. Um, but then they're stuck in the 1990s. You can just see the MS-DOS sometimes in the background running. Um, whereas other countries um, and other spaces that I've experienced in the financial services, like you can bank via WhatsApp these days. It's amazing. Um, and you don't have the bureaucracy and you don't have the clunky MS-DOS running in the background. Um, and so all that, that spiel to say, that um, banking, particularly in the U.S., has a lot of um, innovation and catching up to do as far as the usability um, and being a joy. Like, I know I've had banking experiences in Australia and in, even in Germany, which is, you know, very bureaucratic, that were actually a pleasure to use, right? And I think there's a huge space within the U.S. Um, in general for banking to be pleasurable, because if banking is at least, you know, somewhat joyful anyway, people want to use that product more and more and more and just, you know, think of the possibilities then. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think 
within the financial services space, it's not thought of as, you know, very sexy for UX research, but it's definitely needed um, for a myriad of reasons. In the context of, you know, when we're recording this, which is May 1, even though it won't come out for a number of weeks, you know, we are in the context of many layoffs and finance, at least big finance, if you will, sort of, you know, Fortune 500 type finance does seem from the outside to be pretty stable, right? And so like potentially a good sector to be looking at right now. Yes. You know, I'd be curious to know, what do you think people need to do to get into maybe UX in finance? Because, you know, of course, there it helps to have some subject matter expertise, but you came from an area that, you know, like from a medical anthropology degree, so of course it can be done, um, right? And, but what would you, how could somebody potentially prepare for that? transition if they, for some odd reason, thought that was the sector they wanted to go into? For financial services, is not impenetrable. Like, I, I think people think of banks and financial services as, I don't know, investment brokers and brick and mortar um, kind of stuffy atmospheres. Whereas in my experience, um, it's not that. And some of the most creative people I have met within the UX research space are actually working within financial services. Um, so my first, all that to say, my, my first, uh, I guess, recommendation is don't think it's so serious. And so don't be afraid um, of needing to be, I don't know, wearing a bow tie every day and serious, right? Like it, it's not, like there, there are serious repercussions, of course, for financial services, but the space itself is not so buttoned up that <laughs> it's inaccessible. Um, the second, I guess, piece of advice I have is um, familiarize yourself with personal finance. Like if you want to learn the language of financial services, a really accessible way to do that is to look at the um, Instagrammers and TikTokers who deal within personal finance. And granted, like personal finance is not the same necessarily as uh, financial services, but that's the new language. Going back to my, you know, our previous discussion of, of learning the language and the situationality. Um, there's a couple that I can think of so many with uh, Farnoosh Tarabi and um, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Um, I think he has a Netflix special. What is his name? Ramit Sethi. Sethi? Sorry, Rami, if I got your name wrong. Um, <laughs> but anyway, like they are two really accessible um, personal finance influencers, I guess. And you can learn the language of personal or finance in general um, from that. And then I guess thirdly is um, one of the things that, that has helped me a lot within personal finance is, is knowing the policy speak. So I, in Australia, I worked um, for a binational committee for medical education. And so I was an assistant secretary, which is not like administrative assistant secretary, but more like secretary of state. <laughs> so I did a lot of like financial um, and also, uh, oh, what is it called? Um, compliance work. And so that has helped me a lot in the, in the strategy component. But if we're just talking about UX research, um, you wouldn't need to know the compliance terminology so much, but that has helped me anyway. 
um, and knowing how like boards function and how stakeholders function and like, yeah, that has been helpful. You know, you're again, you're kind of in a unique space. And so is there anything that you see kind of coming on the horizon, you know, in this sort of strategy policy sort of space that you play in and bringing, you know, bringing in your experiences, anything interesting that you see unfolding there or even any other opportunities like, like the financial services sector that you see is sort of an untapped market that maybe individuals should be looking at? Um, I think the non-US space for financial services is up and coming. Uh, for what I have seen, uh, so I mean, I did my doctorate in, in, the, in the EU, right? Um, and so I have a lot of contacts in the EU space. And so um, what I see is an, uh, a rapid increase for UX research within the EU regulatory and financial services space. Also, um, there is a lot of um, opportunity from uh, Brazil and Sub-Saharan Africa as well, um, especially in like WhatsApp um, banking services and, and other like tele-banking means. And so I think that's a, a rapidly growing space. It's largely untapped at the moment. Do you have any talks or anything coming up that you'd like to share? Uh, no talks, unfortunately. <laughs> Watch this space in six months, right? Um, but I did want to recommend a few spaces that really helped me when I was first transitioning to UX. And the first is um, askmanager.org. And um, this website is just like the name implies, Ask a Manager. This is a woman who um, names Allison Green, and she worked in DC for a long time as an HR consultant. And they have a great community of people from all across the world who have a Friday, um, I guess it's an open forum. And you so you can write in with your career question or um, you know whatever you have. And people, this really kind, gentle community <laughs> will, will respond to your question. And that was really helpful for me. Um, also, The First 90 Days, which is a book by Michael Watkins. And to my mind, it's basically an ethnographic playbook for business. So I highly recommend that. And um, what else? Business Anthropology, which is a book by Anne Jordan, and it integrates like anthropology theories to business practice. So those are the things I would recommend. So while I don't have a, a soapbox <laughs> to talk or to promote my own self, I want to promote these three um, sources. Great. Well, thanks for sharing those. Um, can include them in the show notes for sure. And if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, what would be a good way? So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me at sarahelizabethyoho.org. Or am I a .com? That is always a good question. I am a .com. Um, <laughs> so yeah, LinkedIn and through my website. Great. Wonderful. Well, Sarah, thanks for taking the time to come on. Thank you, Matt. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotous.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.